I want to invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 3. So the third Psalm. Um, We are going to begin officially as of this moment what will be a, and get ready for it, I'm going to see if I can do it, for a summer sermon series in the Psalms. So each of our preachers this summer will give an attempt at trying to say that at the beginning of their sermons, I have a feeling. So uh, we'll see how that goes for them. So anyway, uh, Psalm 3. I want to just tell you something really briefly about this psalm in particular. If you look at Psalm 3, you'll notice how there's a couple lines and then there's a little bit of a break and you'll see a little Hebrew word. It's pronounced Salah. And then there'll be a few more lines pronounced Selah. And then a little bit more lines and pronounced Selah. So that Selah in particular, most likely, is some sort of note for the musicians to do something. I'm not quite sure what they're supposed to do. And it maybe even more likely refers to some moment in the psalm where there would be a pause for reflection. So you're going to hear when I read it, I'm going to give it those pauses. So don't freak out. I haven't zoned out out here. I mean, up here. I mean, maybe I have, but not because of that, okay? So I'm going to read it slowly and carefully. Let's take this in together and let it wash over us afresh. Would you listen closely and carefully to these words? A Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation from him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment, we would ask in your kindness and in your mercy if you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, we are hungry for true food. We are hungry or thirsty for true drink. 
We ask that you would feed and nourish us, quench our thirsts. Lord, by the power of your spirit, we ask that you would shine light on these words in your word, that you would shine light on the words that I've prepared. And would you use them to give us great hope in you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, in a particular way, I pray that you would use these words to cast out fear among us, we pray. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a few years ago, Mandy and I were on vacation, and we went to the beach with some friends. They rented this house. This house was situated in one of these like beachy neighborhoods, and in the center of that neighborhood was a pool. And uh, we had a great time. Just imagine the sounds of summer, splashing, yelling, yelling like, Dad. And, And one thing you know if you take young children to the pool, when they say, Dad, immediately they land on top of you. Okay. Um, imagine just a cacophony. Okay, that's a fancy word to, that means a lot of noise. Okay. Imagine a lot of noise, a lot of splashing, a lot of yelling, a lot of dad, dad, splash, splash, woo, screaming. And for a split second, I noticed a sound that I wasn't hearing. And that's because my son who was around two at the time, stopped making noise. And this was noteworthy because at that age, he never stopped making noise. So I instantly whipped my head around, I mean, within a second or two, and I just noticed he had gotten out a little too far, and he was quietly treading water, and it was coming up to his mouth. And I saw this look in his eyes, okay? I knew the look in his eyes because I had seen that same look in my eyes before. Sometimes as an adult, I look in the mirror and I see that look in my eyes. Sometimes I see that look in your eyes. It's a look of deep fearfulness like you are overwhelmed, as if you're literally in over your head with fear. There are some people in this world, and you might be one of them, when that look in your eyes never goes away. One of the interesting things is if you're fearful all the time, sometimes people they don't notice it because it's easy to hide fearfulness when you're afraid all the time. Well, it's into that place, the fearful place, that Psalm 3 speaks. It's into that place that Psalm 3 becomes like a medicine your heart, for your soul, for your mind, for your life. Now, whenever you explore a psalm, you have to track 
the Psalms, what I call movement. Okay, the psalmist is taking you on a journey. He's taking you on a walk. The psalmist is taking you down a path, and the psalmist wants you and me to follow it. And this psalm structure is actually really clear, and it's really simple. There's three movements of the psalm, and they give us that time to pause for us to take it in. So I want to tell you what the three movements of this psalm are, because these three movements of the psalm are the three movements of this sermon. Okay, if you like outlines from preachers in advance, like this is it, okay? It moves like this. The psalmist is in trouble, and the psalmist is afraid. It moves to the psalmist turns attention to the Lord. And then finally, the psalmist rests unafraid. Afraid and in in trouble and afraid, turn to the Lord, rests unafraid. And the main idea of this psalm, okay, it's so simple and it is so direct. In fact, one of the great gifts of this psalm in particular is its simplicity and its directness are almost palpable. You can almost taste it, okay? And it's a really, really good medicine for a fearful soul. And here it is. It's really simple. You don't have to be afraid. I'm gonna thicken that stew a little bit and tell you at the end that in Jesus, because of Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. So let's follow the trail. Would you take a look with me at this first movement? The psalmist is in trouble and the psalmist is afraid. Verse one, O Lord, how many are my foes? Now, the psalmist is not asking a question, okay? It's not, hey, Lord, how many are my foes? The psalmist is not looking for a number, okay? This is a cry of desperation. It's not an informing of the Lord. It's a crying out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? It's the tone of fear and desperation. And listen to the repetition. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul. The psalmist is feeling overwhelmed with fear because of many, many, many enemies. They're rising against him. Now, what's going on here? It's a question. This summer, as we travel through this sermon series, we're going to be looking at Psalms particularly from David. Almost half of the Psalter are somehow associated with David. Now, let me just tell you something really quick. There's a great pressure. There's a great pressure. You're going to feel the pressure. There's a great pressure to know a Psalm as a Psalm of David and then to read the Psalm and then try to somehow situate it in the life of David somewhere in First and Second Samuel. And what I want to tell you is that's really unnecessary to try to do that. 
And, and here's why. Very, 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 very few of the Psalms give us that background information. And the reason that that is true is because the scriptures want your life to become the background information of the Psalm. You're the context. Your life is the context. Like you're supposed to see yourself in your situation, in your reality, in the reality of the psalm. Does that make sense? But this psalm actually gives us that information and it's noteworthy, okay? How's that for a spiel, okay? Look at the inscription, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, what's interesting is that David was the leader. He was the anointed king of Israel. And as a result, by definition, he had enemies. Okay, the ancient world of this time was like a literal kind of game of thrones. Constant marauding bandits and groups were always trying to seize and take power by violence and force. And as the anointed king over Israel, he had tons and tons of enemies. To be a leader of God's people is to have enemies. The scriptures go on to teach us, as we saw last week, that we, as God's people, have an enemy, a capital E enemy. The devil, Peter told us, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We spent this week at VBS talking to the kids about the armor of God and just the fact that we wrestle against rulers and principalities. In other words, we wrestle against enemies. In our own lives, we have enemies, people who don't want the best for us. Sometimes it's because of our faithfulness to Jesus. So David has all of that going on in his life that you and I have. But to complicate things, David also has enemies because of his own sinfulness. And it makes me wonder if you've ever been there. See, he's having to flee Absalom, his son. To make a long story short, literally very long, First and Second Samuel and part of Kings, very short. In a critical moment in David's life, he sins with Bathsheba, he takes her, commits adultery with her, has her husband killed. And in that moment, David's reign begins to unravel and scandal comes upon the kingdom, so much so that his own son Absalom brings an army against him, not just to publicly embarrass David in graphic ways, but also to even try to take David's life. And he's having to run. And that story is supposed to be associated with this psalm. So in other words, David is in trouble because of the normal ways we get into trouble, but David is also in trouble because of his own sinfulness. Now, he receives forgiveness for this sin, but the consequences still remain. I don't know if you've ever been in trouble, and you've been in trouble because of your own foolish, sinful mistakes. But man, it is a particular kind of trouble. David's in trouble, and he's afraid. Not only does he have enemies, not only is it partly his own fault, then this third thing, they're mocking him. See, it's one thing to have enemies. It's another thing for it to be your fault. It's a third thing for them to be talking trash to you and mocking you. Listen to what they're saying. There is no salvation for him in God. His hope in the Lord is dashed in 
At least that's what they want him to believe. I want to take a quick moment and just apply this to your heart. The great question of your life and the great question of my life is in those moments, in those moments when we find ourselves in trouble, in those moments when we find ourselves in trouble because of our own doing maybe, in those moments when we feel the mockery of evil and sin and death and wickedness, in those moments, a critical question, where are you going to look? in those moments. Because you and I all the time look to a thousand lesser things. And every time you look to a thousand lesser things, those thousand lesser things will always, always, always fail you. Every time. But what will David do? in this psalm. Movement number two, David turns to the Lord. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. Psalms, they trade, they turn, they become significant and rich and deep based on their metaphors. And this psalm has one metaphor, most Psalms have a metaphor every other word. This is one, a shield, and it's vivid. Enemies surrounding. And the Lord is described in this text as a shield. A shield is a protective object. But the whole idea is that the protection that David is going to have is not going to be an object, but is going to be a someone. The Lord himself is a shield. The Lord is a protector of his people. My glory, it's a way of saying, Lord, you're my shield. You're the best thing that I've got. The lifter of my head, it's a vivid phrase. Have you ever been downcast and ashamed and afraid? He's the lifter of our heads. I was watching an NBA playoff game this week. In almost five years together, I've given you two illustrations from the world of sports like this. I know you don't believe that, but go back and listen to the tapes, okay? Here's your second one. I, I was watching an NBA playoff game this week, and I don't want to tell you what team was playing. They will remain nameless because... John Colburn is here, and I would not want to disappoint or make him sad in any way, but it was the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> and it was one of those mic'd up moments where you get to hear what the coach is saying. And the Atlanta Hawks, this was their moment. This was supposed to be the Hawks' sort of moment, and it turns out it wasn't really their moment. And they're around the huddle, and Nate McMillan, their coach, is just saying, guys, guys, hey, get your heads up. Get your heads up. But the problem is, it wouldn't matter if they lifted their heads or not because they had no hope. The 76ers had completely demoralized them in that game. They demoralized the Hawks, the treasured Hawks. They were beaten. 
This is not like that. Okay? For the hawks, there was no hope. But for, with the Lord, there always is. That idea of a lifter of a head, it's a, it's a phrase of God's tender care. In our fearfulness, he, he lifts our head and we see him seeing us. It's a special thing not just to be seen, but to see that you're being seen. Goes on to say, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me. The Lord promises to answer us when we cry to him. God, this is God we're talking about. This is the Lord we're talking about. He's the most engaged and responsive being in all the universe. And he's particularly engaged and responsive for those who need him. question for you to apply this to your heart. I do wonder what it might look like for you to cry out to the Lord today for what you need. Because if you will, that is a cry, a prayer that he has promised to respond to. The psalmist is in trouble and he is afraid. The psalmist turns to the Lord. The third movement He rests unafraid. Look with me in verse five. I lay down and slept. Because God's his shield, he goes to bed. It makes me wonder if you have ever experienced what I call the two AMs. I'm going to explain to you what my 2 a.m.s are like. Yours might be different. But sometimes something wakes me up and I'm awake. And then I think, oh, it's so quiet. Then I think, why is it so quiet? Shouldn't the air conditioning be running right now? Oh, no, the air conditioning is broken. I wonder who we're going to call to fix the air conditioning. The kids, I wonder if they're going to wake up because they're too hot. Oh, my word, I'm a parent and I have kids. (laughs) I, I wonder how they're doing. I wonder how they're going to make it through the thing that they've got to go through. I wonder how Leland and Millie and Henry are doing. Well, the, the AC is broken. Oh, speaking of broken, the AC doesn't always work at Second Presbyterian. Oh my gosh, I'm a pastor. And what about the souls of the people in my care? And what about the emails that I sent? And do I need to rethink what I said and how it was going to be received by them? And what about the words that I preached? Were they quite right? Did I mess that up somehow? Racing mind, racing mind, pounding heart, pounding heart, pounding heart, pounding heart, the two amps. But this text teaches us that because the Lord's our shield, we can rest unafraid. So look, verse five, I lay down and slept. I woke again and the Lord sustained me. As we've talked about at length the last couple months, God's rare, his his plan rarely, his strategy rarely is to have us avoid pain and difficulty. Instead, what he normally does is give us sustaining grace through it. When God made you and when he redeemed you, at the same time, he made a promise to sustain you. He's promised to. 
God is the great sustainer of his people, and he sustained David in this fearful moment. Look at what he says in verse six. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. Did you pick up on the fact that his situation did not get better? Thousands are still still against him. They're rising up all around. He just walks into it with courage because when the Lord is our shield and he is the lifter of our heads and we have that tender care from him that has a way of casting out fear. It doesn't mean that you won't feel fearful. It doesn't mean that you won't become scared. That would not be a lack of faith. That would be normal. But the promise is that fear doesn't have to rule. Fear does not have to become the basic posture of your heart and your mind and your soul and your life. His situation's not any different. He still needs God's protection. His troubles don't go away and neither will yours. The Haitians, these friends I've met in another culture have a saying and it goes like this, Deye mon mon. And it means beyond mountains. Oh my gosh, there's more mountains. His situation doesn't change, but he, he rests unafraid. He leans on the Lord in verse seven, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. His situation is not better. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. What he's saying is, God, save me, judge, act, vindicate. The fact that Jesus, the fact that the Lord promises to judge the wicked is something that the Bible celebrates at every turn. And this idea that you strike the enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked, this is a metaphor, this is, or this is a symbol, it's symbolic of the idea that the mocking voices will be shut up. It's like the Lord will shut up their mouths. He rests unafraid. What the psalmist wants you and I to see and I really hope this is like a medicine for your soul tonight. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. And you might say to me, Joel, is it really that easy? And I would say back to you, no. And you might say to me, Joel, is it really that simple? And I would say back to you, yes. And then you might say to me, Joel, how can you be so sure? And then I would say back to you, Jesus. Let me explain what I mean. See, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor, had this idea, and he had got this idea from Martin Luther, who got it from someone else, who got it from someone else, who got it from St. Augustine, who got it from the New Testament writers. St. Augustine and the New Testament writers had like a direct connection, okay? That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> who got it from the Psalms themselves. And it goes something like this. Imagine this. When you make Jesus the prayer, the one praying, or the speaker of the psalm, it almost always works. 
I mean, can't you see Jesus Christ when the soldiers surround him, when the thousands come around him yelling, crucify him, crucify him, can't you just see him whispering prayers to his father? Oh Lord, how many are my foes? When he's in the garden facing the trouble that he was gonna have to walk through, and when people are mocking him, and they mock him exactly like this, there is no salvation for him in God. That's literally what the soldiers say. It's literally what the passerbys say. Can't you just imagine when he's in the garden saying, Lord, you are a shield about me. In other words, what I'm trying to get you to see is that the Lord Jesus himself has lived this. He is our sympathetic high priest who's able to sympathize with us in all our weaknesses. In other words, and I've told you this so many times, if Jesus Christ could sit down with you and could tell him about your particular trouble, even when it's your fault, he would say back to you, I know, but the difference with him is that it wouldn't have been his fault. He was without sin, which gives us this great gift that not only does he understand what we walk through, but this great gift, because he walked through it faithfully without sin, he is able to absorb it in his own body, the full weight of sin and darkness and death and wickedness and enemies. Enemies and death and sin and darkness were literally allowed to take their best shot at Jesus, to keep punching and punching and punching and punching and punching until they became exhausted and fell over defeated. When Jesus took his last breath, the scriptures teach us in that moment, he destroyed the works of the devil. He's Christ, the great victor. He promises one day to return and swallow up death forever. And he will bring judgment against wickedness, but he also does something else. He also offers mercy to sinners. See, in Jesus, we can pray things like, Lord, would you strike my enemies on the cheek? And you can also pray, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing at the same time. And as if this were not enough, he promises, he promises in the midst of every trouble which will come, he promises you that there is nothing that can separate you from his love. In other words, because of Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. Don't have to let fear rule you. Fear does not have to be the posture of your heart and your soul. Let's pray. Lord, these things are easier to talk about than they are to live in the 2 a.m.s. Lord, on Monday, Lord, in the fearful things that we encounter. But Lord, I pray that the simple declaration of them is true would set some fearful souls free tonight. I pray that we would take hold of you as a shield. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.